Discover community. Find hope and experience God. This is Discovering Hope. Well, it's a real privilege to be with you this morning. I'd love to have you join us on Tuesday nights, if you can, in the class that we're offering. Because one of the realities is, to understand the New Testament, you have to understand the Old Testament. Everything that's taught in the New Testament finds its origins in the Old. And so as we're going to navigate through the Old Testament, one will understand more fully the message that God has for us as his people. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we ask for your your presence, which is already here. Father, that you guide our thinking as we look into your sacred word. As we look at some of the unbelievable teaching of your son Jesus, which gives us both purpose, gives us hope. So, Father, guide my thoughts and guide our thoughts as we think together this morning. Amen. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine some months ago. And he was commenting to me how painful it was that his eldest son has walked away from the Lord. And not only has he walked away from the Lord, but he is antagonistic of the things of the faith. And how difficult it was to to navigate and their deep love for their son, but there's not much they can do. All they can do is pray and all they can do is hope that someday he come home. I had a wonderful life group in the Twin Cities when I was pastoring there for the last 10 years. And most of the time in our life group, we spent time each time we met in prayer. And I would say 80% of our prayers was for wayward children, sons and daughters who are far, have walked away from God and are estranged from Him and their deep desire for them to come home. I got a call from one of my parishioners from a church in cities again who said, is it all right if my son calls you because his life is just destroyed? The choices he's made. I said, sure. So I spent a few hours on the phone talking to a young man who said, I have pursued a narcissistic lifestyle. I pursued all the pleasures and all the joys that the world has to offer, and I found myself to be just absolutely broken, absolutely bankrupt. Which, by the way, is the point that God brings us, any one of us that comes to him, to realize that we're all spiritually bankrupt and spiritually broken to come to God. Just more recently, this week, I met with a a parishioner from Bemidji Church where I pastored for 12 years. And she said to me, I have three children, and all three of my children are wayward and walking away from God. What did we do wrong? If we took time this morning, which we can't, and if I had a microphone and I went all throughout this congregation, every one of us could share a story of somebody we know who's wayward, somebody we know who's, who's walked away from God. And you know, there's very little we can do. As we'll see in the parable that we'll look at this morning, there's very little we can do when somebody chooses to walk away from God. And so this morning, I want us to navigate through the greatest of parables of Jesus, the parables of the lost, two lost sons. We call it the prodigal son. But there's two lost sons. One is the wayward prodigal that's destroyed his life through the lifestyle he lived. But the other is the religious prodigal. And I want to say to you this morning that the religious prodigals are the most difficult to reach than the prodigals who walk away with a destructive lifestyle. So I want to spend some time as we look at this great parable. It's found in in Luke chapter 15. But before I do that, I think we have to understand, as I said earlier, that everything we see in the New Testament comes from the Old Testament. 
So I want to take us back for a moment to the beginning of creation. When God created the world, in the sixth day he created the height of creation with human beings who are made in his image. What an incredible privilege and what an incredible value we have to realize that we are made in the very, very image of God in creation. You want to look for your worth and your value? You want to know where you find your worth and your value? First of all, you need to anchor it in the fact that you and I were made in the image of God with unbelievable indignity and worth. And from the beginning of creation, every human being that's ever existed is a son and a daughter of God in creation. Everybody you encounter, everybody you see as you walk on the street, you have to look at them and realize again, afresh and anew, they're made in the image of God. They have unbelievable value and worth. And they're sons and daughters of God, every human being in creation. To anchor our parable of two lost sons, we have to anchor it, however, in the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. Some of you are familiar with the great book of of Jonah, where Jonah, the reluctant prophet, was asked to go deliver a message to the Ninevites, who he was, who was the arch enemy of Israel. Have many occasions they came and they raped and they pillaged the people, and and they were the horrific enemies of ancient Israel. And God says to the prophets, and prophets often delivered message beyond Israel to many nations and said to them, I want you to go proclaim a message of judgment to them that in 40 days, if they don't repent, they'll be destroyed. Well, the prophet tried to navigate away from God and God got his attention. Finally, he went and delivered the message to these pagan, bloodthirsty Ninevites. And you know what happened? They repented. How massive was the repentance? It was from the king himself all the way down to the lowest of person in the kingdom. All put their face to the ground and repented before God. It was a massive repentance that you couldn't imagine ever happening. It never happened in ancient Israel at that time. But it happened at the arch any of Israel. Now, if he had the right heart for God, he would have been dancing in the streets and they would be celebrating that their arch enemy has come home and their sons and daughters of God have come home to the eternal God. But you know what Jonah is? What his response was? He was furious and he was angry at God. Why would he be angry with God? He said, because if I knew, if I went and I proclaimed the message and they repented, that you are a merciful and a gracious and a compassionate God as he's defined in the Old Testament. And he says, I resent the fact that you are. You can extend that mercy and grace to me. That's perfectly fine. You can give that grace and mercy to ancient Israel, but you do never extend that to your enemy. And God tried to reach him. He tried to reach him in the book of Jonah. But at the end of the book, Jonah ends the book as a bitter man, angry at God. Why? Because of his mercy and his grace. Folks, that sets the backdrop because that parable and the players in that parable are precisely what we'll see in the parable of the two lost sons. Two lost sons parable is found in the great book of Luke chapter 15. The context of it is that the religious leaders came to Jesus and they were complaining to Jesus and many of the other people that were assembled to say that they hated the fact that Jesus ate and dined with sinners. Of course, you drive back into the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, they were not supposed to associate with such people that were not followers of Judaism or would not follow the practice, religious practices of the Jews. And they were considered the sinners and the outsiders. And they weren't supposed to share, of course, life, but to share a table with them was anathema to the religious leaders of the day. He delivers three parables together, and this is very, very important, these three parables together. The parable of the lost sheep. 
In that parable, the hound of heaven, as often referred to C.S. Lewis and others referred to God, is pursuing. He's going out to find the lost sheep. There's a parable of the woman who lost her coin and, and she goes and pursues to, to sweep the house clean until she finds the lost coin. In that, it's depicted as God who, who goes and seeks lost people because of his deep love for them. But the parable of two lost sons, the father does not pursue. The father, unfortunately, has to wait back for his sons to come home. In the book of Ezekiel, there's a wonderful statement made that, that just really is the backdrop to all that we're going to look at this morning is this, that the God of the universe, he doesn't desire at all that the wicked would be punished. He desires more than anything else that people who are wicked would simply repent, that they could live, and that they could come home. That is the heart of God. When you have three parables stung together, it is of utmost importance in Jesus' mind and Jesus' heart. It seems these days that sometimes we're more concerned about rearranging society than we are for people coming home to God through Jesus Christ. The burning passion of Jesus, the burning passion of the apostles at the early, earliest times of the church of Jesus Christ was a burning passion that lost people would come home. That people who are sons and daughters of creation would all of a sudden experience being sons and daughters in recreation in Christ. And when we lose that passion, we lose the central importance of the church. So let's look at this parable for a moment. Let me read it to you because it's so important. Listen carefully as I read from Luke chapter 15. Jesus, there was a man who said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estates. So he divided his property between them. Not long after the younger son got together all he had, set off to a distant country, and he squandered all his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went, listen, and hired himself out to the citizens of the country to send him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with unbelievable compassion for him. He ran to his sons. He threw his arms around and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against God and heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to even be called your son. But the father, I may add, wasn't even listening. For the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found. So they began to have this unbelievable community celebration. Meanwhile, the older brother... By the way, the older brother in any celebration is always sitting at the door greeting guests. But the older brother is in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked, What is going on? Your brother has come, he said, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he is now safe and sound and home. 
The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father also went out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, that you never gave even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. When the son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the catted calf and call for him. My son, can you imagine the pleading? You have always been with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. And the parable ends just like the book of Jonah, rather abruptly. Let's look through the story for a minute here. And, and I have some wonderful insights through a book that's written, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, by, by a wonderful a writer, uh, Kenneth Bailey. He's written a marvelous book as he gives us some of the cultural background to understand this marvelous parable. But we have to unpack it because it's a very, very important parable. In the ancient Near East, any son, even in ancient times or even modern times, because Kenneth Bailey went to all the countries in the Middle East, and he asked a question, have you ever heard of anybody asking for an early inheritance? And they would say, absolutely not. You see, in the ancient world, if you would ask for an early inheritance, what it really means is you wish your father was dead. Any father in the ancient world would have done a couple of things they could have done. One, they would have beaten, they would have beaten him severely. Or secondly, because of his disregard for honoring one's father or and one's mother, he could be literally put to death for making such an outlandish request. It's not only a request that affects father and mother, but it also affects the older brother, who is the one who is the heir, the primary heir of the estate. Something remarkable about this parable is what? The father literally gives this early inheritance to his son, which would have never happened. Nobody would have ever done that. He gives it to him. When he gives it to him, the son takes his possessions and he, where is he going to go? He can't stay in the community because if he found out what he did for his father, it would, they would have shamed him at every turn and they would have despised him for what he had done because everything in the ancient world is bound up in community. What you do affects the community. So he had to leave this community. He probably had to leave the next community until he was in Gentile country because he, in Gentile country, they were able to... Feed, example, as he did pigs, which would never find a pig in Jewish territory because it was anathema to eat pigs in the ancient world. So here he is, he leaves, and he goes to a faraway land. And, and you can imagine with all this resources and money he's bringing into a community, how all the people would attach themselves to him. Oh, he'd everything would be going great. He'd have all kinds of friends. In fact, at the height of Muhammad Ali when he was fighting, he supported an entourage of a 100 people. Literally out of his take. You can only imagine when the money was good how this man lived this wild life because he was running away from the family. As long as the going is good, the people are there. But not only was he squinting his money down by the, the lifestyle that he was living, but also a terrible famine hit. And you can imagine how quickly the money would go from somebody, an outsider, who has resources. So he finds himself literally broke. What's he going to do? Because now everybody's left him. Nobody cares about him now. The going is no longer good, and he finds himself by himself. And finally, when he's by himself and he's at the bottom of the barrel, he realizes, and he stops and thinks, what is going on? He realizes that even his father's servants back at home are well taken care of. 
And he realizes that he's best to go home and even face his father and more importantly face his brother, but he should go home because at least he would be cared for. I will go home and realize that I have sinned against God and I will go home and I will become a servant. Not Probably not willing to be on the property as some suggest that he probably lived off the property. But his idea was, I'll go work again, maybe with the idea that I can pay it back. But nonetheless, he realized in his utter bankruptcy that he needs to go home. So he leaves and he goes home. The remarkable part of the parable is right now when he goes home, his father... I think who realizes at some point his son's going to destroy his life, has been praying and hoping and dreaming that his son would come home. He was probably waiting at the outskirts of the village. Every day he might have gone to a spot and looked to see if his father, his son would come home. Well, there he sees in the far distance his son is coming home. What does the father do which is unprecedented? The father never would do. He ran out to his son. Unprecedented. Why did he run out to his son? Because he ran out to his son because he loved his son so much and all he cared about, all that mattered to him was that the son would come home. But he also ran out to his son to protect him from entering through the city gates because the moment he entered through the city gates, everybody would remember what he had done to his father and they would have shamed him and only his father can give him entrance into the community. He comes with his religious line, I call it. He comes with his religious line. I sinned, God, I'm going to earn it. I'm going to work for you and I'm going to earn it. That's a religious line. But you know something? The father wasn't even listening. You know why? Because all that mattered to him was that his son came home. He wasn't even hearing him because he was even when he had gone and squandered his life, he was still a son of his Bring the robe out, probably his robe. He took take the ring that they had, which was identification of their, their, their allegiance to the family. Put sandals on his feet because he didn't even have any shoes. Bring it all in. My son has come home and we're going to have an enormous celebration because my lost son has come home. To kill a fatted calf was rarely done. And when you have such a celebration, you not only invite all the family, you invite the entire community. And he invites the entire community to this unbelievable celebration. You know what reached that son? You know what reached his heart? It was not his religious argument. What reached the son was the unbelievable mercy and grace of his father who accepted him as he was still a son. And by his unbelievable and mercy and grace, that's what reached the heart of that lost and that broken and that bankrupt son. was his father's unbelievable Unbelievable love and grace. Unprecedented in the ancient world. Working in the field, as he always does as the older brother, he's always obeyed. He's always done the right thing. He's never stepped out of line. His view of the father is this, this, this father who demands that he works hard and that he toes the line and he always does what's right. This son here comes home from the field Normally, again, he would be at the, at the begin, right at the, the, the entrance of the, of the home, greeting all the guests, but he's not. He comes home and wonders what's going on, and he sees a little servant come over. What's happened? He says, your brother has come home. Does he celebrate his brother coming home? Absolutely not. Realize that his inheritance has been jeopardized, too, by his younger brother's behavior. And so he is furious. He's furious that his father would even accept him back, much less hold an enormous party. 
So he's angry. His father goes out to him, just like he went out to his first son. Unprecedented for him to go out to his son. His son should come to him. He goes out. And he reasons and pleads with his son. Please, don't you understand how special it is that your brother who is lost has come home? It's time for celebration. And his response is very simply, how can you possibly celebrate a person who lived such a lifestyle, such an embarrassment to you and what he did to you? How can you possibly? And he sulks and he's bitter. Just like Jonah was bitter in the Old Testament. He's bitter. And the book ends rather abruptly. This is the most magnificent parable of Jesus. If there's ever a parable that we can understand the heart of the eternal God and understand because Jesus came with one except expressed purposes to seek and save lost people. He left the judgment which is real to his Father because he came to rescue lost people. Well, folks, the practical reality is every one of us at some time in our life has been part of all the players in the parable. First of all, every one of us are like the younger son. Every one of us are estranged from God. We're sons and daughters in creation, but we're estranged from God because human beings have chosen to go their own way in the fall of Genesis 3. And so we all are estranged from God. And nobody comes to God through any kind of religious means. We don't come to God by saying how inherently good we are, how obedient we are, and all the wonderful things and the wonderful character we are. Because every person comes to God only when we recognize that we are utterly and positively and completely spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing we can do for grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a wonderful, incredible gift from God, not of works that any one of us could boast. So every one of us, Every one of us are like that prodigal, lost, broken, have gone our own way. And all the father wants to do is his sons and his daughters to come home. And I say to you in this congregation, if that's who you are today and you have run away from God and you're estranged from God, you haven't come home, my plead for you is please come home. Please come home because embodied in the Father of the parable is the very heart of God. And all He wants to realize you to realize that you are utterly spiritually broken. And it's through the grace of Christ, the grace of God, that you can be reconnected. And now you are sons of God in recreation, not just creation. And then our life starts to unfold. At some time in our life, we've all been like the older brother, haven't we? Haven't we looked at people and say they're unworthy of God's grace? These people are fine, like in the, in the Jonah. Israel's fine, which they weren't. The Assyrians, forget it. We make judgments of people and we say, they're not worthy of God's grace. And I say to you, that's wrong because every human being is worthy of the grace of God. Every human being. And we must not, as the people of faith, have the attitude of that older brother and resent the fact that God shows grace and mercy to lost people because we were broken and lost. At times, we have the wonderful heart of the Father, don't we? Don't we have the heart of the Father? Are there times in we, where we say, I just so much desire to have love and compassion for broken people. And your heart is broken, and all you want people, your friends and your families, the prodigals to come home, and that's all your heart beats with the love and compassion of the Father. And that's what I urge us to have as we internalize this unbelievable parable, is to have the heart of the Father. And finally, the community. The community. 
In the ancient world, the community would have shamed him for what he had done. Only the father could, would be the one who could bring him back into the community and be accepted. But I want to say to you folks, there's a tone that's set with a community of faith where we say to broken people in the world we live in, come because you can come here because this is a place of grace and this is a place of healing. This is a place of the incredible love of our Heavenly Father. Create me a heart that quickly and gladly says yes to you. Make me less of Jonah and more like Jesus. My heart is full of my own prejudice and preferences. Give me a heart to love even the enemies as you do. Make me less like Jonah, more like Jesus. Make me willing to go wherever you send me, willing to be mistreated for your gospel. Allow the joy of sharing in the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus. Make me more, less like Jonah and more like Jesus. I'm ashamed of the lack of compassion for those around me. As I get involved in the lives of others, instead of retreating into a holy huddle, will you cause your compassion to overflow in me and through me, and may we have less of Jonah and more of Jesus. Give me insight into my anger as well as into my joy so that I can hate what you hate, but love what you love. Please, may we be less of Jonah and more of Jesus. And finally, keep me from being a cold-hearted person. Break my heart like your heart is broken for those who are perishing. Make my life be a sign pointing people to you instead instilling hope that they might experience the mercy you have shown to me. May we be less like Jonah, less like the older brother, and more like Jesus. Jesus.